Blog Talk Radio. The following is a post time with Mike and Mike production. Beckham Sea Champ down by the seaside. Beckham Sea Champ wins the Breeders' Crown. It's Rock and Ron McWicked on the inside. McWicked to win the Jim York Memorial. Fear the Dragon fights on down by the seaside on the outside. Fear the Dragon down by the seaside. Down by the seaside and Brian Sears gets up to do it. Keystone Velocity getting closer. Melmar looking for the line. Keystone Velocity. Keystone Velocity takes it at the very end. All bets off. Keystone Velocity. Keystone Velocity. And Dan Dubay to win the Potomac Pace. This guy's the Energizer Bunny as they head for the Royal Fire Guns. Podcast of the Sport of Harness Racing, post time with Mike and Mike, with co hosts Mike Carter. And it's bus 936, and bus 936 on the wings of an angel. And Mike Bozich. Outside, Heaven Rocks, but the clock's running out. Bella Buster Hanover wins the Commodore Ferry. Time with Mike and Mike presented by our good friends at Pet America, Mike Bozich, along with Mike Carter, who will be along in just a moment, welcoming you to another fantastic program here at Post Time with Mike and Mike. And we have got a good one for you today as we're going to take a look, uh, kind of recap the Harrisburg sale once again. Another sale where the numbers have improved over a year ago, and we've continued. And continue to see these improving sale numbers. We saw it in the Lexington Select sale, and now we saw it here at Harrisburg. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, dive into that with uh, our good friend Myron Bell. We had a chance to sit down and talk with him a little bit earlier this morning. Uh, He is still at Harrisburg, and he had not quite the sale stoppers, but a couple of the good ones. Uh, you know, $400,000, $350,000 purchase. So we're going to talk to Myron a little bit about that on around Hanover and in reality Hanover plus trainer Linda Toscano won't be joining us. And uh, how about her owner? One of her owners, Ken Jacobs with an A2 sales stop, a rodeo blue chip purchased for $250,000. We're going to talk to her a little bit about that. Plus Julie Miller will be joining us. Uh, her and her ownership partnership, Spent uh, $250,000 on Hilly Holbrook. So we're going to talk to her a little bit about that. But a lot of money flying around at the Harrisburg sale. So the numbers in the sales regards are healthy. Now, we had this conversation after the Lexington Select sale. Can that be used as any kind of economic indicator for how healthy the business is in general? I've got some thoughts on that. and But more importantly... We're going to hear what, what Myron, Julie, and Linda have to say about that, along with Ken Weingartner. Ken, kind of a late addition. He'll be joining us as well, and he has had a chance to uh, write some great articles for the USTA, USTrotting.com. Very, very good stuff, keeping everybody up to date on the Harrisburg uh, yearling sale. So uh, Ken Weingartner was right in the field of battle during that whole thing, and we're going to talk to him as well. Lots of uh, topics, lots of interesting things going on. Uh, in the sport of harness racing that we're going to get into. So certainly I uh, can't wait for that. But uh, first thing I do want to mention, and I want to get to this, and, and uh, you know, shame on me for not making it, because I'll tell you what, next year I am not to miss it for the world, and that is the Pacing for the Cure Harrisburg Dinner, which took place on Monday, and it, it received a lot of good social media coverage. I mean, if you're not friends 
on Facebook with Pacing for the Cure. If you don't follow him on Twitter, you should. First of all, if you've never heard of Pacing for the Cure, it's a very good cause. Jeff and Janine Gessick, I call them the dynamic duo. They have done such a wonderful job of creating awareness for uh, the terrible disease, multiple sclerosis. And, you know, through harness racing, they have done just a great job of not only creating awareness, but of raising money, uh, you know, not only to one day find a cure, but to kind of assist people in helping them deal with this disease as they deal with this on a daily basis. And, and they have done such a terrific job. And they had a dinner on Monday at Harrisburg. And they gave out some uh, very nice awards. They had a, a, a very nice uh, auction with some just outstanding donated items. And this is one of the things about harness racing that, that I love. And I know a lot of times that, you know, harness racing gets a bad rap, this and that for various things. But I'll tell you what, in situations like this, harness racing really sticks together. Harness racing, in my opinion, you know, from some of the, the big shooters in this sport, for some of the, you know, the people that, that do have money and do, you know, do well in this sport, they give back. They give back. And I don't think you have to look any further than the pacing for the cure dinner that occurred on Harrisburg, uh, that occurred at Harrisburg on Monday for evidence of that. So hats off to everybody that made that event go. I mean, from everything I've heard, it was such a terrific, terrific event. And, you know, Jeff and Janine are very, very good uh, friends of the show. And a lot of the people that sponsor them are very good friends of the show. Elizabeth Cheeseman from Winback Farms, Carolyn Vasquez from Diamond Creek Farms, uh, Joe McLeod, a lot of different people that that uh, support Pacing for the Cure of Friends with the Friends of the Show. And I got to tell you, next year, count me in. Count me, and I wouldn't miss it for the world next year. Such a great event. But anyway, if you want to check out some of the things that happened there, uh, especially picture-wise, follow Pacing for the Cure and, and Jeff Gessick on Facebook. I think Janine's the one that takes care of the Twitter. I don't think Janine does the, the Facebook thing, but nonetheless, check them out. Anyway, let's get uh, let's get the ball rolling. Linda Toscano is going to be first up on deck on this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by our good friends at Bet America, Julie Miller, Byron Bell, Ken Weingartner, and much more. We've got a jam-packed edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike, and we're getting the ball rolling after this. Time out. At Bet America, we don't do promotions only for new players. As a regular player at BetAmerica.com, you can take advantage of several promotions each week. Go to BetAmerica.com slash extra and visit our promotions calendar and find out how you can get double wager reward points on our featured tracks. It's just another reason why it's time to play the Bet America way. Harness Horse Youth Foundation has the power to bring a life-changing experience to any child. We introduce youth to the horses and skills that build confidence, friendships, and a lifelong love of harness racing. The Harness Horse Youth Foundation has been a positive influence in the lives of thousands of young people since 1976. Check with the complete list of Harness Horse Youth Foundation camps and activities at hhyf.org. That's hhyf.org. New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program. Retrain, rehab, rehome. New Vocations focuses on adoption as the optimal solution for the large numbers of horses that leave the track each year. The program provides rehabilitation and transitional training to prepare the horses for a productive life beyond racing. Each horse is evaluated for temperament, soundness, and suitability to help ensure a successful adoptive match. New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program, celebrating 25 years and over 6,000 horses placed. Learn more at newvocations.org. Are you a student looking to log volunteer hours or just someone interested in spending free time giving back in your local community? Pacing for the Cure could use your help. 
We need volunteers at local events to help with fundraising and to assist with the annual dinner party planning activities. Please email Janine at pacingforthecure.org for more information. Again, that's Janine at pacingforthecure.org. Mike? Pacing for the Cure annual sponsorship opportunities are available on the pacingforthecure.org website under the donor tab. Choose your sponsorship level or customize your own sponsorship package. This is a great time to reserve a table sponsorship at the annual Pacing for the Cure fundraising dinner party in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania in November. As always, there will be great food, entertainment, and prizes at the annual event. Visit pacingforthecure.org. You're tuned in to the Bet America Radio Network. Host Jason Bean brings you new shows every Monday through Friday. We bring you the best personalities from across the racing world with extensive interviews, commentary, news, games, and more. The Barn is revolutionizing what horse racing radio can be. And you can hear new shows at BetAmerica.com or just search Bet America Radio Network on iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. Get in the Barn. Ah, yes, our good friends at Bet America. Make sure you check out our archives there at betamerica.com slash barn. They've got a lot of good things, a lot of good stuff there. Jason Beam does a daily, or I don't know if it's, is it once a day? Uh, a thoroughbred show on the Bet America Radio Network. Make sure you, you check them out. Of course, we're on there for the harness side. You can check out our archives. We're, we don't stream live there, but you can check out our archives there at betamerica.com slash barn. If you want to hear us live, we're on every Thursday, 1030 a.m., and you can check us out right here on Post Time with Mike and Mike.com. Right now, we're joined by trainer Linda Toscano, uh, soon-to-be Hall of Famer Linda Toscano. Linda, welcome into the program. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Well, listen, before we get into Harrisburg, and I know we're going to talk plenty about the sale, but we do have to talk about uh, your entrance coming up pretty quickly in the Hall of Fame. That certainly had to be an honor. Was that something that you expected, or when you got the phone call, did you have to kind of sit down and and gather it all in for a minute? I really had no inkling at all. I mean, you know, you hear tell every once in a while that, that maybe my body of work was getting considered, but to be honest, to be honest, I had no clue, and uh, I was flabbergasted. I'm honored. I mean, it's it's everybody's dream, but nobody's expectation. Now, this is the first time that you've been on the show, and I was reading a little bit of, of your bio, good stuff. I mean, it was just a, a paragraph bio, but you know, it said on here, this is up from a DRF harness.com, but that you served an apprenticeship with the legendary New York City horseman Buddy Regan back uh, in the early 80s before going out on your own in 1985. Tell us a little bit about that period. Tell us a little bit about actually how you kind of got involved and started in the sport of harness racing. It's kind of a funny story. I rode uh, hunters and jumpers, and I did. I, I'm a Brooklyn girl, and uh, when I moved to Long Island, I was a little bit sad. So my mom and dad uh, said, well, how about my father was a racehorse fan, but he said, how about taking riding lessons? So I started taking riding lessons, and, and I rode hunters and jumpers, and then I had a girlfriend who kept her riding horse where I did, and uh, she worked at the racetrack. And she said, why don't you come down? I was going to college at the time. She said, uh, how about trying, a, I guess you'd call it an internship in this day and age, but back then it was just a, uh, a jo- summer job. And uh, I got hooked. I loved it, and I never left. And I was fortunate enough to land in Buddy Regan's barn, and he was the king of New York at the time. And uh, I learned a lot from him, and he also believed in girls. And at the time, you know, that we were a handful on the backstretch. And he gave me uh, a lot of opportunities that I think most women and girls did not have the opportunity to do. He let me train. He taught me an awful lot, and the rest is history. Linda, let's talk about some of the horses that you've had throughout the years. And I think, obviously, one of the most notable horses that, that people remember right off the bat is Market Share. I'll tell you what, that is so many people's favorite horse. What a great horse Market Share was and continues to be. Tell us a little bit about your kind of personal relationship with uh, with Market Share and what a great horse that he was. Well, it's funny. When Market Share arrived, he doesn't look like any trotter that I'd seen you know, he really kind of looks like a pacer. He's, he wasn't a big horse. His gait was not flawless by any way, shape, or form, and he just wanted to do it. He just, anything I asked him to do, he, he did. We needed to give him a little bit of time to grow as a two-year-old, and at the end of the year, we raced him 
kind of light. We raced him in the uh, Jersey Sire Stakes at Freehold just to kind of give him a chance to try to beat up on somebody, and he went undefeated as a two-year-old and didn't expect it. And when I brought him back as a three-year-old, we were sitting in my office, and Mr. Gutner came down, and we had had Chapter 7 the year before, and he was like, do we need to stake this colt? And I said, you know, you may want to sell him at some point. You probably should stake him. That's honest to goodness the only reason that he was eligible to the Hamiltonian, not because we really thought he was a Hamiltonian caliber horse, because we figured we better stake him in order to be able to turn him over if need be. And I can almost tell you the day in the New York Jersey Sire Stakes that he flipped the switch. He just figured out that fast was good, but winning was better. And uh, he did anything I asked him to do. And to think that he could make $2 million in his three-year-old season <laughs> was beyond expectation. He's just, I always called him the little engine that could, and he did, he was. You know, looking back on that period, and now you've had a, a few years to do so, what what did it mean to you from a personal level when market share crossed the line first in the Hamiltonian? That had to be, obviously, it's quite a thrill. Tell us how what was going through your mind. You know, I still get emotional when I think about it because, honest, the year before with Chapter 7, great horse. And he went on to prove that he was a great horse. So my expectations were high going into the Hamiltonian. I thought I really had a horse that had a shot. And the next year, I said, I don't remember last year. You know, it was a blur and everything like that. I'm just going to enjoy this ride. And I remember telling Timmy when he won his Hamiltonian elimination, um, swing for the fence. I may never get a chance to do this again. Just swing for the fence. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And when he moved up the back stretch and he actually opened up turning for home, I didn't think that wire was ever going to get there. And then the emotions just kind of run loose because you just can't believe that it happens. I mean, it's everybody's dream. Visiting with soon-to-be Hall of Fame trainer Linda Toscano. Linda, let's uh, segue into the Harrisburg sale. And uh, one of the big headlines of the sale was the uh, the day two sale topper rodeo blue chip uh, bought by uh, Ken Jacobs and yourself? Tell us a little bit about this horse, uh, and tell us a little bit in general about because I know that everybody has a little bit of a different strategy when they come to these sales, and and different people look for different things, whether it's you know uh, the family history or confirmation or other different things. What what are some of the things you look for? Uh, when purchasing a, a yearling, and tell us a little bit about what turned your eye on Rodeo Blue Chip. Well, the first thing that drew us to him, well, first of all, let me say, Ken picks his own horses, and what we do is, when it comes to the higher-end horses, he and I look independently. We look together, but we look independently. When he gets them down to the last four or five, he may say to me, go down and take a look at them, and which one do you like the best, especially when he knows he's going to have to reach a little bit for them, and that was the case with this horse. I had been to the farm, he had done his work and, and had vet school over him and everything like that. But obviously the first thing that led us to him was the family because Heston Blue Chip was a great horse for both of us. Um, he was the Dan Patch Award winner. He was the three-year-old pacing colt of the year that year. And um, so that's the first thing that draws you to the horse. And then Ken is a huge fan of, well, it's hard not to be, but Sweet Lou and Captain Treacherous this yep. year. They're, they're promising young sires, and they look like they're just going to eat up the racetracks. And um, so there was number two. And then when we get there and we look at the horse, you know, he, he ticked all the boxes. He had good size. He had a beautiful way of going. Uh, he stood well. His confirmation was, was very well. The only fault that you may be able to find on the Colts, which – girls love is he's flashy you know he has a lot of white on him which is going to come with the sweet Lou's. um sweet lou was flashy himself and it certainly right. didn't slow him down so um so that that might be the only thing some people shy away from that but in this particular case they certainly didn't he, he brought a full price you know that's one of the things that i'm by talking to a lot of different people i mean whether they're owners their trainers or whoever the case may be it seems like they kind of stick to the, the family history of horses that they've had success with. I think that's one of the things I'm learning because I'm really not, you know, uh, that's one of the aspects of the business. I mean, breeding and sales that I really haven't gotten too involved with, but that is something that I'm starting to learn is that, you know what, if you had success with this family history, that's what I'm sticking with going forward in sales. Is that true? It, it is for a lot of people. You can't let that be 
your absolute because that can also drag you down. You know, just because you had one great horse, if you constantly buy the brothers and sisters of that horse, that may never work again. But on the other hand, if you've had a great horse and, and a family is, is there for you, you have to look at them all. You have to look at them all. And if you see similarities or you see something you like with them, you know, we have a propensity to go back to the same families. Linda, one final we let you go. Once again, the Harrisburg uh, yearling sale is uh, up 7.5% roughly. I mean, very, very good encouraging numbers, uh, especially from total gross sales. I mean, $35.4 million this year compared to 33 last year, over $42,000 and 830 yearlings sold. Can we – and this is a question that I'm asking a lot of different people because I'm getting a lot of different answers, and I think all of them are fairly good points, but do you believe that – we as a sport can use these improving sale numbers with seemingly year after year. Can we use that as any kind of economic indicator for the health of harness racing? I certainly hope so. I think it is encouraging with sports betting in New Jersey and the slots in, in Pennsylvania and everything like that. I also think it's a direct result of the breeder knowing what the what the buyer likes. And I think they're doing a really good job of improving their broodmare bands and bringing the best to the sales. So we reach a little bit harder for the ones that look great. All right. Hall of Famer, Linda Toscano. Linda, that's got a nice ring to it. I got to tell you, listen, we certainly appreciate you joining us. Best of luck to you in the future. And currently any horses uh, right now racing that uh, we could kind of look out for is uh, we pretty much put them to bed for the winter. We have one racing tonight in the in the matron stakes at Dover. His name is Nomasa Moore. He was a little bit unlucky with his trip in the Breeders' Crown, and uh, hoping he's going to get a good trip tonight. Good stuff. Thank you so much for joining us, Linda. Thanks for including me. All right, that was Linda Toscano, and uh, soon to be Hall of Famer Linda Toscano, and uh, that's uh, quite a Hall of Fame class. And uh, speaking of Hall of Famer, let's bring in our man Mike Carter joining <laughs> us now on the program. Uh, Mike, welcome in. Oh, well, thanks. So nice to be yeah, to have no, me. I appreciate it, man. You know, no, it, nice to be a no guest. No problem. T- t- tell us how you got your start of the sport of artist racing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> listen, I don't think we have enough time for that. That's for sure. Well, listen, you, listen, you had a great weekend, by the way. You were, you were able to, you and your dad were able to spend some good time together at the Breeders' Cup. I know that had to be a thrill. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we had a blast. Uh, me and my dad, uh, we went out to Churchill Downs in uh, Louisville, and you know, it, it was just incredible to see the crowd, uh, to see the crowd's reaction to certain things. We got to see some really impressive performances. So, uh, you know, it, it was a lot of fun. But uh, now we're back to the harness racing work. Yeah, no question about it. And you know, I'll tell you what: the Breeders' Crown and the Breeders' Cup are a week apart, and it seemed like it seems like you get a lot of the. Uh, and I'm I'm one of them. I think we all are kind of the armchair quarterbacks that say, well, wow, maybe we should in our event, our Breeders' Crown, maybe we should emulate the Breeders' Cup a little bit better. I mean, in terms of maybe how horses get into these races, um, you know, you hear a lot of flack about the eliminations and so forth. Where are you, where are you at on that, Mike? What do you think? I mean, it, it, when you see the Breeders' Crown and the Breeders' Cup back-to-back weeks, do you, do you get some ideas of maybe how we could do things better on our end? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, obviously I'm a big proponent of, uh, as far as eliminations goes, I really think they should be non-wagering races, uh, but that's me speaking, uh, not on behalf of anybody. And, and so, you know, it's, you know, you get take away a lot of ideas. Uh, the all-in series that the Breeders' Cup did was actually something, Mike, that I thought was pretty cool. I don't know if you had a chance to check it out, but it was kind of the road to the Breeders' Cup Classic. Right. And, uh, you know, there, there's things like that that I think we could do to, uh, you know, kind of boost everything up. All right. Well, our show's just getting started. Had a good, good chat with Myron Bell early this morning, so we're going to hear from Myron in just a minute or two. Plus, we've got Ken Weingartner towards the top of the hour. Julie Miller will be joining us. Uh, Still a lot left to come on this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike. Plenty of Harrisburg chat today, and we'll get right back to it after this timeout. You've got Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America. Are you interested in learning more about owning standard bred racehorses? Do you want to experience the excitement of driving a standard bred? Owning a racehorse is a once-in-a-lifetime experience and not as difficult as you may think. The United States Trotting Association wants to help make your ownership dreams a reality. Contact a member of the Ownership Concierge team by email at owners at ustrotting.com or by calling 877-800-8787. 
Extension 5555. Winback Farms yearlings are born to compete and raised to win. Be sure to check out our lineup to take advantage of opportunities in slot and rich states. Our yearlings are eligible in Delaware, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Ontario, and Pennsylvania. Our 2018 sales schedule kicks off in Goshen on September 9th, followed by Lexington October 2nd through the 6th, London October 13th to the 14th, Harrisburg November 5th to the 7th, and the Harrisburg Mix Sale on November 8th. For more information, visit winbackfarm.com. That's winbackfarm.com. We're back on Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America. Mike Bozich, along with Mike Carter. And right now, we're joined by prominent horse owner Myron Bell. Myron, we certainly appreciate you joining us, my friend. How are you this morning? Well, I can't be any better, but uh, there was a rumor on the Internet that just came about about one of our great horses, Captain Ahab, being injured at uh, Brittany Farms, and that's totally erroneous. And uh, I think people should not believe what they see on these false news people, and it's awful. But we're having a great time here in Harrisburg. We bought some nice horses, and we're looking forward to the coming 2019 season. Well, Myron, listen, I certainly appreciate you clearing that up for us. Let's talk a little bit, before we get into the uh, the, the big money horses that you bought, let's talk a little bit about the sale in general. Now, obviously, you've been going to these things for a long time, and, you know, you talk to different owners, you talk to different trainers about what they look for when they're uh, buying a, a particular yearling. What, what are some of the things maybe that you look for, uh, you know, when looking at yearlings? Yeah, I uh, definitely we uh, we're, we're into of course of tremendous maternal families, especially when you're buying fillies. Uh, I don't care who the sire of a filly is, but she's got to have a maternal family of two, three, or four generations at least, and uh, there's got to be champions on the page. As far as colts are concerned, uh, right now uh, Hanover Shoepalm is having a phenomenal sale here because. They have a lot of captain treacheries and some beat somewhere. And a new sire that's been totally, uh, odd speak, has been very well received. But people uh, want to buy sires that are very hot. And right now in the harness racing industry, we have Muscle Hill and Father Patrick and Trixton, and they're very acceptable stallions. And people flock to those horses. And the same with Paces, with Captain and the late Sunbeat somewhere, and all the others that are involved, like Sweet Lou. Uh, we, uh, we're very proud of Captain Treacherous. We're very, very well received, and his first year was phenomenal on the racetrack, and we look forward to continued success for him. Yeah, Captain Treacher is the leading sire for two-year-old paces. I'll tell you, when it's all said and done, I mean, he's obviously going to be a tremendous sire. Let's talk about uh, a couple of the horses. $400,000 purchase on day one. The uh, Honorat Hanover out of Captain Treacherous and a million-dollar mare, Hannah Hanover. Tell us a little bit about uh, that purchase and what you saw on that horse. Well, he's got a very good maternal family. Sevilla Saul, I saw Super Wave Race, and and always being messy. There's a lot of great horses in that maternal family. And Hayden Hanover was a very fast horse that had some uh, bad racing luck. And he was the second colt out of Hannah. And he was one of the most outstanding colts here. I didn't want to spend that much money for myself and my partners, but we kept digging and uh, we got him. And hopefully he'll, uh, he'll be a star. $350,000 for another horse in reality, Hanover. This is another Captain Treacherous, a full brother to a stakes winner, Captain Trevor. Your thoughts on him? Well, I bought a mare years ago called On the Catwalk, who produced uh, in uh, uh, the dam of uh, Captain uh, Trevor and the colt we bought the other day. And he was a phenomenal looking horse. And Kenny Jacobs was a great uh, owner. He was the underbetter on the horse, and we got together, and he took a, a piece of this colt, and I hope he's very lucky with us also. He's a beautiful animal. 
visiting with Myron Bell. Myron, let's talk a little bit about this sale in general. Now, once again, the numbers are up 7.5%, uh, over $42,000 uh, average out of 830 horses sold, up $35.4 million to $33 million last year. We see these increase in sale numbers, it seems, throughout the years on a pretty steady basis. And this is a question that we threw around a couple of weeks ago after the Lexington sale. Do you believe that we can use these rising sale numbers as an economic indicator of the health of harness racing? Well, harness racing, our horses are very undersold, even though you see 400 and 350 compared to our thoroughbred brothers. We're very well undersold. I did a little uh, research at the Breeders' Cup and the Breeders' Crown. The Breeders' Cup had 43 millionaires racing on their big days. We had 30 millionaires. Of course, they had a lot of five and six million dollar winners. But we had 30 horses that raced at Pocono on last Saturday that had won a million dollars or more. Yeah. And their, their cost factor was maybe 20 or 30 percent of what a thoroughbred cost. So we, we have a very good product that's very undersold. And people, and we race. We race 16 to 20 times a year, as opposed to the average thoroughbred racing about six times a year. So I think it's up to every owner in our sport to spread the word. We have a good product here. And especially now that we have some new stallions like Captain and Lou and uh, Father Patrick, people are flocking to those stallions, and that's why... They had a great sale in Kentucky and a great sale here. Myron, listen, we certainly appreciate appreciate you joining us, my friend. Best of luck on the racetrack in the coming years, and we'll catch up with you real soon. Thank you. That was very good. Yes, that was very good. Myron Bell always does a fantastic interview. Like that was... Uh, yeah, I knew I forgot that it's something out there, my friend. But uh, nonetheless, that thank was very good. He always, he, listen, he always does a great job on our show. Listen, he? thank God you didn't say anything else because you might be in. Uh, we might be filing some SEC violations against you. Oh, never! You kidding me? Come on, <sighs> we don't do that kind of stuff. But you know, I'll tell you what. He brought up some very interesting points, and so we're going to get into it with Ken Weingartner towards the. Uh, well, here in just a minute or two after we take a very quick time out, but some interesting stuff that Myron mentioned. I do have to share one funny thing, though, and, My- and Myron, give me permission to do it because I was, you know, one of the horses that he that he purchased for dollars name is Honorat Hanover. It's H O. N-O-R-A-T. And I, but listen, I didn't want to make an idiot out of myself. You know, I mean, he just, you know, plunked down $400,000 for the horse. So I said, you know what? I better do my homework and, and try to see how to pronounce this horse. So I went to our good friends at Google. And let me tell you what. I went to three different websites, four different pronunciations of the horse. So basically, they said it four times four different ways oh, so i asked uh, so i asked myron before we started the tape i said listen i said i don't want to make a fool out of myself i said how do you pronounce this horse and that's you know mike he goes i really don't care how you pronounce it i said i don't really care about the name of the horse i just care about what he does on the racetrack and you know what that's that's what an owner's supposed to care about yeah right? no that's you know that, that's good stuff it's nice when the owner gives us the name though so uh I, I, Unara was the first one because it's French. Unara. That you know what okay. that, that, that would make sense. I would get that. The second one was Unarat. The third one was Anarat, and the fourth one was Haunara. So I don't know, but anyway. Huh. Good luck. Uh, I'm sure he'll end up here at Harris Philly in a couple of years and off the word. His next first start will be at Harris Philly, and you'll have to call him as a winner because you know, and, and people don't realize this as announcers. When we look at a name that's really, you know, kind of weird looking or, you know, it's hard to say or whatever, we are praying to the good Lord up above that the morning line is like 50 to 1 on this horse. Because then, you know, okay, maybe we don't have to worry about it. But it never fails. The horse is on the lead the whole time, and some, most of the time wins. Oh, absolutely. There's a horse <laughs> it that never fails. Yeah, it absolutely. It never fails. <laughs> We'll have to, maybe we'll make a show on that one time of uh, Bozich and Carter's mispronunciations. Whew, there's been listen, I, I've had quite a few. We can only go three hours, so well, <laughs> listen, listen, probably we won't, listen, when I called Studio City uh, Studio something else, uh, oh. everybody and their mother heard it. Let me just put it to you that way. Uh, 
<laughs> when we come back, Ken Weingartner plus Julie Miller, you've got post time with Mike and Mike presented by Bet America. Looking to bet on great racing from around the country and around the world? There's no better place than BetAmerica.com. But there's also no better time to join because right now we're offering a 100% sign-up bonus up to $100 on your first deposit. Simply open a new account at BetAmerica, make your first deposit, and we'll add your bonus immediately. It's that easy. Sign up today at BetAmerica.com. New Vocations Resource Adoption Program. Retrain, rehab, rehome. New Vocations focuses on adoption as the optimal solution for the large numbers of horses that leave the track each year. The program provides rehabilitation and transitional training to prepare the horses for a productive life beyond racing. Each horse is evaluated for temperament, soundness, and suitability to help ensure a successful adoptive match. New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program, celebrating 25 years and over 6,000 horses placed. Learn more at newvocations.org. You're tuned in to the Bet America Radio Network. Host Jason Bean brings you new shows every Monday through Friday. We bring you the best personalities from across the racing world with extensive interviews, commentary, news, games, and more. The Barn is revolutionizing what horse racing radio can be. And you can hear new shows at BetAmerica.com or just search Bet America Radio Network on iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. Get in the Barn. We're back on this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America. Mike Carter, alongside of Mike Bozich and Mike, I'll tell you, one one big thing going on this week was the 2018 Harrisburg sale, where we saw a lot, of, saw a lot of uh, really big purchases. And I got to tell you, man, it, it was really kind of cool to watch, uh, kind of how the you know the walking ring was and things of that sort at this sale, how it was compared to Lexington. Yeah, very interesting, the difference between the two. And you know what? Just like Lexington, numbers were up at Harrisburg. Things are good. Life is good. Let's bring in Ken Weingartner to tell us exactly how good is life. Kenny, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Fantastic. Numbers are up. Tell us about uh, what's going on at Harrisburg. Your thoughts on uh, on the yearling uh, sale that just passed? Well, I, yeah, numbers were uh, really fantastic this year. Uh uh, the average for the uh, three sessions, the yearling sessions, was a record. Uh, came in with an average of uh, $42,675, and uh, that was uh, topped the uh, previous record, which was around 40, it was a little under 41000 in 2007. Um, so great numbers there. Uh, compared to last year, the average was up 7.5%. Um, the gross was up by uh, almost two million, uh, even though they sold 21 fewer horses this year. So uh, solid numbers all around. And I know uh, Pete Spears there, the uh, Thoroughbred Horse Sales President and CEO, was uh, very very happy yesterday uh, at the conclusion of the yearling portion of the sale. Now, Ken, talk to us a little bit about like what you, we know that you write stories. You're the main uh, media relations uh, manager for the USTA, and what kind of goes into you know who who to interview and when? Um, you know, obviously, you anybody can read the book, but you know, what are things on the yearlings pages that maybe you look for that you go, hey, maybe I should get an interview with that guy just in case this horse sells for four, five, six hundred thousand. Well. A lot of what I do uh, is really just reacting to things at the sale. Um, I'll usually go in and we'll talk to some people and get some opinions about what hip numbers look like they're going to be top sellers and kind of make a note of that so I can be aware and, uh, you know, in the ring for those horses if I'm uh, make sure I'm not tied up doing something else and uh, keep an eye on that. And then just it's a lot of just reacting to things because, You'll sit there and you'll go, okay, we just had one sell for 410. Is that going to be the topper today? Well, it's probably going to be close, so let me go talk to the people involved with that. And then, uh, you know, you get one for 500. And then uh, you're pretty sure that'll be the topper, but you don't know. It, it's kind of just uh, doing things and reacting to things and uh, not really having a plan per se. It's kind of like going behind the starting starting gate. You know, you 
<laughs> you, you may have an idea of what you want to do, but the plan changes. Yeah, no question about it. And, uh, you know, for those people, and you see these fractional ownership, uh, you know, outfits like, um, I mean, VIP stables, the stable.ca, you see uh, more of a prominence from them as the years go by in these sales. And that means that a lot of uh, newer people, you know, will be involved in the, these types of sales. What do you think a newcomer to one of these types of sales can expect? Well, um, they can expect a lot of action, that's for sure. Uh, and <laughs> they can also expect that if there's a horse you really love, there's a good chance that a lot of other people love that horse too because uh, it seems like everybody kind of settles in on the uh, the same horses, which is kind of what leads to these, these high prices, uh, especially on the first day. And I was talking to one of the trainers, and he, he said, I have champagne taste but a beer budget. And uh, he was hoping to get a few horses, but uh, nothing has come his way. But I think with the fractional ownership, and even now you see a lot of times uh, the groups being formed, uh, even among prominent owners, to uh, try and lessen the burden on individuals and still make it affordable and fun for everybody. I think that's the great thing about fractional ownership. Uh, my dad had been involved in it for years and uh, really enjoyed it. And wh- you know, whether you own 100% of a horse or 5% of a horse, the excitement is you know, the same. It's still 100% excitement. Oh, hold on, we got to bring Mike Carter off the mute. I think he had a question for you, Mike. Sorry, buddy. Go ahead. <laughs> See, you, you, you mute me and you don't bring me back. I I like how that works out. Uh, anyways, Ken, there were there was some talk uh, by Murray Brown, um, and maybe you know something about this, maybe you don't, on uh, Facebook earlier this morning about Lazarus being at the sale. Um, do you know anything about that? And uh, if they are maybe selling a share of him, be selling a share of him, and I don't have that information in front of me, unfortunately, but. Um... Let me see if I can find it quickly here. Uh, but I believe there was going to be a share um, that was going to benefit the Standard Bridge Retirement Foundation, if I remember correctly. Well, that's good stuff. They're very good people, the ownership of Lazarus, by the way. We've had a, Mike, we've had a chance to talk to them on oh, yeah. numerous occasions. He's great, great people. And, and a, a great horse as well. Absolutely, yeah, it's a fantastic horse. <clears throat> yeah, can he uh, take all the time you need, my friend? We got. Uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm probably not nearly as entertaining as uh, Myron Bell. So. It's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's okay. Uh, that the share will be sold today at the mixed sale. Uh, it is going to benefit the uh, SRF. So okay. awesome. that's something to keep an eye on, and that should be coming up. Uh, well, I don't have the sale on in front of me, but should be coming up shortly. Very good. Good stuff. Uh, Kenny, before we let you go, and I'm going to ask you the same question that you know we've been asking a lot of people ever since the Lexington sale and here throughout Harrisburg. We see these rising numbers, especially from a, a monetary you know point of view. We see these uh, sales improving percentage-wise. It seems like you know year after year, certainly generally an upswing for the last I don't know, however many years, especially since the, you know, the slot machines have taken hold in the, in the slot infused purses. But can we use these improving sale numbers as an economic indicator of how well our sport is doing? I, w- I would think so. I mean, uh, if people were not excited about the, the sport and uh, not excited about owning horses, you wouldn't have these numbers approach the levels that they are. I think those go hand in hand. I think uh, you know Pete Spears talked a little bit about the economy is doing well overall, and uh, people are excited. People are having fun, and they're having fun with racing. And I think that's the bottom line. You know, people are excited. They enjoy the sport. They love participating in it. And you know, when people do that, and there's a, a reward at the end, and uh, like you said, the purses have been very, very strong. Uh, New Jersey hopefully will be getting a subsidy here to help its purses in the very near future. And it gives people incentive to uh, buy horses and participate. And that's reflected in the, in the numbers we saw the past few days and at Lexington. Good stuff. And like with this fractional ownership groups now coming around, listen, if we can get new owners involved in the sport, you know, 
I mean, owners bring friends, and, and, and those friends gamble. So maybe through the ownership side of it, we could increase our bottom line from a from a handle point of view. Kenny, certainly appreciate you joining us, my friend. Good work, as always. You can check Kenny's articles out in a number of different places, uh, ustrotting.com certainly being one of them. Kenny, we uh, look forward to seeing your work, my friend, down the road, and we appreciate it. Okay, well, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. All right, that was our good friend, Ken Weingartner. Ken, one of the hardest-working guys. I mean, Mike, no matter what big event, you could bet your life, you can bet your next 10 paychecks <laughs> that if there is a big event, you are going to see Ken Weingartner there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Ken uh, covers a lot of the sports. Uh, you know, he's kind of like the publicist for harness racing. Um, he, he does a lot of very big stories and lots of things like that. So uh, we're glad to have him on here at the USTA, and I enjoy working with him an awful lot. Yeah, I mean, good guy, too, really good guy. We've got Julie Miller in the on-deck circle, plus a lot more coming up on this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America. Mike Bozich here along with Mike Carter for Pacing for the Cure. Do you or someone you love with multiple sclerosis have a difficult time paying for your MS medications or need medical equipment such as a wheelchair or scooter? Pacing for the Cure can help. Please visit the pacingforthecure.org website and complete the mobility aid application. If eligible, you may receive funding. Again, that's pacingforthecure.org. Mike? Are you a harness racing trainer, driver, or owner? Please join the list of those who pledged in 2017 for the $1 per win challenge. The 2018 challenge has begun and wins tally from January 1st through October 31st. If you are interested in joining the challenge, please email jeff at pacingforthecure.org. Thank you, drivers, trainers, and owners. Once again, that's pacingforthecure.org. Are you interested in learning more about owning standard bred racehorses? Do you want to experience the excitement of driving a standard bred? Owning a racehorse is a once-in-a-lifetime experience and not as difficult as you may think. The United States Trotting Association wants to help make your ownership dreams a reality. Contact a member of the Ownership Concierge team by email at owners at ustrotting.com or by calling 877-800-8782, extension 5555. Winback Farms yearlings are born to compete and raised to win. Be sure to check out our lineup to take advantage of opportunities in slot-enriched states. Our yearlings are eligible in Delaware, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Ontario, and Pennsylvania. Our 2018 sales schedule kicks off in Goshen on September 9th, followed by Lexington October 2nd through the 6th, London October 13th to the 14th, Harrisburg November 5th to the 7th, and the Harrisburg Mix Sale on November 8th. For more information, visit winbackfarm.com. That's Winback farm.com We're back on this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike presented by Bet America. Mike Carter alongside of Mike Bozich. And Mike, uh, some breaking news before we bring Julie Miller on. The share of Lazarus was just sold for $50,000. Uh, Daily Racing Forum's Derek Gibner is reporting that that uh, sale uh, was for $50,000. Um, he believes it's two breedings per year for four years, uh, but he, you know, don't, don't, don't quote him a hundred percent on that, but uh, it's a 58 is a bit over, excuse me, 50,000. So yeah, 50,000. So two breedings per year for four years on uh, Lazarus. Very good. Interesting stuff. And now well, we're, well, that was, uh, interesting. We, were, we were just talking to, uh, Ken Weingartner about that before we hung up with him. So uh, there we got the breaking news from our good friend, Derek Gibner. Good stuff, Mike. Good stuff. Yeah, definitely. All right. Let's bring in Julie Miller now. And uh, Julie, uh, let's kind of talk about the Harrisburg uh, sale just a little bit. Uh, You and um, Andy Miller were at the sale this week. And, you know, we we talked to you a little bit after Lexington, but for those who maybe didn't hear, talk to us a little bit about what you guys kind of look for when you're, uh, when you're scoping these yearlings out. Uh, well, first of all, I want to say thanks for having me on the show, and that's a tough act to follow, Ken, <laughs> so uh, I hope I can do as good a job. But uh, um, actually, what we really try to do with, um, before the we ever even get to Harrisburg to the sale is just do our research and homework. Uh, we try to go to all the breeding farms and check out their consignments, see the horses in the field, you know, get some feedback from the farm managers of how they how they act in the field or how they were raised and and uh, just do that kind of homework before we even get there. 
Julie, uh, you guys, uh, Mike Bozich here. You guys got uh, a horse by the name of Hilly Holbrook. This was for uh, $250,000. You and your uh, ownership group of Brixton Medical and and uh, Marvin Katz, Bud Hatfield. Tell us a little bit about this horse and uh, and what kind of caught your eye about uh, about Hilly Holbrook. Yeah, yeah. First of all, yeah, there was a nice horse for us to pick up at the sale. Um, Marvin Katz put that uh, – partnership together so new ownership in the barn of Hatfield and Brixton Medical so that's always exciting uh, for me as a trainer but no the horse as an individual had such a nice floor presence at uh, Concord and at Harrisburg had nice video and nice turnout and just I think we viewed the horse about three times before the sale and then at the sale and each time you know, we saw more things to give her high marks and to uh, put her on our short list as well as uh, Mr. Katz Julie, let's talk about hip number 51, a perfect beach day that was purchased uh, by your stable. A ton of talent uh, in the first dam, Ideal Gal, and also the second dam before sunrise. Uh, this was a nice little pickup by you guys. Uh, talk to us a little bit about perfect beach day. Well, well actually, um, that's when you know you go to the page. We uh, had only actually saw this horse uh, on Saturday, then back on Monday at Harrisburg. And uh, we just liked how she was put together. So, unfortunately, we didn't get to see her out in the field, but we liked how she looked at the floor, liked her video. And then when you say the, the page is great, when you do go to the second dam, we had a horse out of her uh, girls' night out that was a nice filly. So you kind of got, kind of go back to the well <laughs> in terms of when you've had, you know, family members of a horse that have excelled or met your expectations, you know, you, you kind of um, gravitate towards them. And, uh, you know, Andy and I had set our budget, and she was well within it. And, uh, like you said, I think a nice little pickup for our stable. Trainer Julie Miller joining us here on Post Time with Mike and Mike. Julie, you talk about training videos, and I know that a lot of – probably most buyers now kind of depend on training videos. But still, with that being said, there's probably – and once again, I'm no way an expert in this – there's probably things that – you know, you can see from your naked eyes when you see the horse physically as opposed to watching a training video. How how much – how would you recommend to, to somebody – how much should we lean on these training videos? And what are maybe some of the things that you can pick up watching a horse from a naked eye as opposed to watching a video? You know, Mike, that's a great question, and I get asked that a lot. And um, for me as the, as the trainer – Um, I do have the uh, availability and I do make time. I want to see the horse. I want to see it, like you said, with my naked eye. I want to see it in the field. I want to see it in its environment, not just at Harrisburg. But for people like my husband, Andy, who's on the go driving in the vehicle, driving to races, you know, it doesn't have that kind of time. He relies more on the video. And I think a lot of owners do as well. Um, I don't put as much stake in the video um, as, as maybe other people do. I think it's a great tool, but I would never use that as my uh, driving force on picking a yearling. Now, Julie, you talked a little bit earlier kind of about you and Andy setting a budget uh, for certain horses. And obviously there are a lot of factors that have to go into that or those kind of details. How do you guys determine, okay, we're only going to spend sixty-five or 70000 on this? And has there ever been a time where somebody's maybe jumped you by one and you said, you know what, let's go 5000 more. This might be worth it. <laughs> it's funny because uh, what I really what I really try to do is, um, like you say, quote unquote, put a budget up before we head to Lexington or Harrisburg, and uh, we try to hopefully stay in that budget. But like you say, when you really want one, you might raise your hand a couple more times and you know maybe spend ten or twenty thousand more than you had expected on a particular horse. But you know what, we really try to be mindful and stay to stay to our our budget. Um, and what's good for us is uh, a lot of times when we buy a horse and they see our, our name, like when people are watching the sale, then that's when we get calls from owners or, or people that have an interest in the horse. And, you know, they call to take a piece of the horse. And sometimes by the time it's, it's you know, been an hour after the sale, you know, I could have pieced the horse out where I didn't have any of it. So, you know, it, you know, I think we just t- kind of use our gut instinct and take maybe uh, more of a risk than other people. I don't, put a lot of groups together beforehand but it always seems to work out for us and 
And when we do decide to hit on one that we think is going to be a higher price horse, well, you know, we definitely do a little bit more homework. And I talk to some of my major player owners and kind of set more of a plan. But more so than anything, we just kind of kind of go with our budget and try to stay within it. Julie, one final question before we let you go. So, okay, so we've we've been to the sale, we've got our horses now. What happens next from a training point of view? What I mean, does it depend on each individual horse as far as how we start to train them, or is there a, like a general routine that kind of is uniform with all the horses that you take home? Well, at the beginning, it's pretty you know pretty uniform. You know, we we get them shipped here. We make sure they acclimate okay and and uh, are familiar with, we're at Gateway Farms in Jersey, and make sure they get in or nested in okay, but we just start in on it. The uh, eight horses that I just purchased Monday through Wednesday all just got hooked and jogged for the first time today at Gateway before uh, our interview. So, you know, you just you just keep on going with them. Um, obviously, we then in tune go to particular um, training programs for each horse, but right at the beginning, you just get them, get them in the cart and, and see what you got, you know, and get excited for the next year. Sounds good to me. Well, listen, Julie, it sounds like you got some pretty good horses uh, from Harrisburg, and we certainly appreciate you joining us. Best of luck to you going forward. Anything, uh, any horses uh, going on right now? I mean, are we pretty much putting them all to bed for the winter? Um, you know what, there, for for me and our stable, for Andy and I, we still have uh, the matron for uh, Mets Hall, who we've been pretty yep. proud of. He's, uh, you know, made over a million this year, and He'll have that race and then um, and then be shut down for the for the season. And then our two year olds still have uh, the Garden Race this uh, Saturday at the Meadowlands, and then hopefully the uh, Valor Victory and the Goldsmith Maid. So usually around Thanksgiving is we we kind of shut down the stake racing and and get focused on the on the next year's crop and get excited about that. So. Sounds good. And you know what? Listen, when we get ready for next year, that means the warmer weather isn't too far away, but we've got to endure another <laughs> winter. But I'll tell you what, the summers are getting shorter and shorter as I get older. Julie, listen, we certainly appreciate you joining us. Best of luck to you, and we'll catch up with you really soon. Great. Thanks for having me again. Thanks, guys. All right. That was trainer Julie Miller. And uh, well, I'll tell you what, the, the summers are getting shorter and shorter, aren't they? Seems like they are anyway. You know, what's up with this daytime savings change in the time? This is ridiculous. Oh, I, here we go. I'm driving home at 420 yesterday. We only had 12 races yesterday. It's driving home at 420, and it's already getting dark. Well, listen, That's you should have enjoyed, enjoyed Listen, take it up with uh, your local Mother Nature. <laughs> well, yeah. I know, but I mean, I just don't understand why they just can't leave the time alone. Why do we have to change it? I don't get it. I, 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 wish, I, could, I wish I had an answer for you. Well... All right. Well, that was a great show, Mike. <laughs> yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Uh, but we want to talk about uh, the Mike and Mike Awards, too. We want to talk yes. about, uh, you know, the post time with Mike and Mike Awards. And, uh, you know, we've got a ton of nominations uh, thus far. And uh, I'll tell you what, I'm looking forward to continually receiving those nominations. Uh, we got. I'm going to go through, start going through them uh, today, actually. Yes, and, uh, we, have been sw- we have been swamped. With nominations, uh, which is a good thing, Mike, which is a really good thing. It means a lot of people are interested. A lot of people are participating, and that's always a good thing. And we encourage you, if you haven't got your nominations in yet, we have seven terrific awards that uh, will be given away. It's uh, our th- is this, this is our fourth annual, isn't it? Yeah, it's our fourth, that's our fourth, fourth annual. annual. Yep. Post Time with Mike and Mike Awards. So make sure you email your nominations. It's very simple. Just go on to our website, posttimewithmikeandmike.com. Click on Post Time with Mike and Mike Awards. It'll take you to a section and right there. It's very easy. Just follow the instructions, and you could nominate for seven terrific categories. And uh, listen, we appreciate it. We've got some very good nominations so far, Mike, some very good nominations. It's going to be a very interesting post time with Mike and Mike Awards. And the drop-dead date, Mike, that you have to nominate is? Um, boy, I knew you were going to put me on the spot with that. Hold on. Let me, let me grab the date. We've got a couple weeks, I know, right? Yeah, but it's, you have two weeks <coughs> – excuse me, two weeks from tomorrow, I believe. They are okay. due – Wednesday, November 22nd, I believe. So you have two weeks. Wednesday, okay, November so 22nd. So get them in, but then two weeks go quick. You know, I mean, people like to procrastinate, and all the next thing you know, you get shut out. So <laughs> do not get shut out, and we do not drag after that day, do we, Mike? Yeah, no, we don't drag, but uh, if you're anything like Bozich, you may want to hurry up to the window because, uh, <laughs> you know. 
we do not track. All right. Well, anyway, listen. This has been. We 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 want to appreciate. Well, we do appreciate all of our guests that joined joined us here today. Byron Bell, Julie Miller, Linda Toscano, and uh, Ken Weingartner. And uh, anything else, Mike? Before we uh, get this closing thing going, or what? No, I think that's uh, that's pretty much it. Send your votes in for the post time with Mike and Mike Awards, and uh, we'll see everybody back here next Thursday with a first post of 10.30 in the morning. Goodbye, everybody. Can't stay here I know